Welcome back to the Black Letter Podcast. We set out to create an entertaining and exciting podcast about law and business, and I think we've done it. Black Letter, the name, comes from the Gothic typeset that was originally used in the Gutenberg Press. Over time, Black Letter became the only font that English law books were printed in. Everything else was printed in regular type. It made it harder for kind of the common person to understand what the English law books said. Black Letter came to represent something that was law, that was set in stone, that was sort of old and a well-settled fundamental principle of law. We're here to demystify Black Letter law. We're here to demystify things that happen in business and law and where those two meet. And I hope you have fun listening. And now a word from our sponsors. And thank you to our sponsor, Alcunis. Alcunis is a one-stop resource for all your business and legal support services. Whether you need operations management support, website development, invention prototyping, patent searching, Alcunis has it covered. Alcunis understands you can't do everything yourself. Virtual operations and HR support, business formations and patent searches are just a few of the many services they provide either directly or through their network of specialized partners. Alcona serves law firms with professional management support, virtual paralegal assistance, and coordination of outsourced services, including the difficult task of e-discovery and deposition logistics. Think of Alconus as your legal services business concierge. You focus on your core services, and they'll take care of the rest. For more information, visit www.allconus.com. That's allconus.com. Welcome back to Black Letter, the podcast. With me today is Gerald Lamel. Gerald is a partner at Dunlap, Bennett & Ludwig. He runs the immigration practice there, a uh, very robust practice. Before being a partner at Dunlap, Bennett & Ludwig, he had his own practice. And before that, he was the deputy executive, de- executive director of Amnesty International. Is that right? That's Roughly, right. you can you can share your title. What was your title exactly? <laughs> Deputy Executive Director. Deputy Executive Director of Amnesty, Amnesty International. International, and he ran immigration for Amnesty International for 14 years. So he has seen everything from asylum cases to these days. Gerald's getting up to corporate immigration. Everything from uh, investors from foreign countries coming to the United States to get an immigration and a visa to uh, H-1B visas, which are corporate uh, immigration programs for biotech companies for data management, data management companies. And uh, what else did we talk? And, and L1, you're going to explain those. So let's kick it off, Gerald. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do? Well, what we do is uh, in the immigration field is we help people to come to the United States, non-U.S. citizens, whether they're coming for a green card, a immigrant visa, or a non-immigrant visa. Uh, okay, so what's the difference between a green card, an immigrant visa, and a non-immigrant visa? What well, are those gre- three things? A green card is an immigrant visa. Okay, so, that's so an a immigrant green visa. card means you're coming to the United States permanently. Gotcha. Is a live as a uh, legal permanent resident okay. or as a U.S. citizen. A non-immigrant visa means you're coming temporarily. Depending on the visa, there's a time limit for each visa and a series of uh, restrictions on what you can and can't do under that visa. Okay, so um, I know that you have worked with a lot of companies. We were just talking about before we started the show, a biotech company and a data management company. And 
So what's an example? Uh, let's talk about what a company would need. If they are a U.S. company and they want to bring a technical expert over from another country, Sweden, India, China, uh, the U.K., whatever. Um, first of all, for my first question for you, because I honestly don't know much about immigration, which is why you do it. Um, so is there a difference between immigrating from Sweden versus immigrating from China? And on, on that kind of, I'm going to go work for a company. Uh, probably, I don't know. So is there a difference? Well, does it matter? There can be. Each country has a certain quota of, of, of people that, you, that they will provide visas for. So uh, countries like China and India, uh, the quota is very high because they, these countries have invested a great deal of money in education, technical education, and the United States doesn't. And so, therefore, a lot of companies are hungry for these tech experts uh, gotcha. to come to the United States. And so, what, what the uh, typically what the the vehicle they use is the H one B visa, uh, visa, which is a temporary work visa, but it allows people with a bachelor's degree or higher to come to the United States to work for U.S. companies. That this program was started actually. Um, with the at the behest of the Defense Department, which oh. was trying to bring in a number of talented scientists right. uh, uh, to to the United States to help our, our defense industry. Interesting. And so bringing in foreigners to help the U.S. If, defense industry if, is where H one B came from. If you can imagine, yes, I, that's exactly where it is. These it, days, cannot imagine. No, no, no. Oh, uh, you know, one I other understand thing. it's happening, but. It's 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 interesting. It's we, a little eye popping. We will uh, we will get into this, uh, I'm sure. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, there's the politics of immigration, and there's the reality of it, and it, it's it uh, the, it's it's an interesting the way uh, it actually. So can out I add a third factor that I have a question about because I don't know. I I know the politics of immigration because it's on television, <laughs> whether it's real news or fake news, whatever you want to call it, it's on news. Sure. So I have some sense of the politics of immigration. There's a wall thing going on. You've heard of this. Um, but I don't know. So A, the reality of immigration versus the politics. And then, you know, C, the rhetoric, right? Because the rhetoric is a little bit different than the actual politics uh, itself, right? Because yeah. you have people saying things, which is the rhetoric. And then you've got the politics and things that are actually happening at a political level and laws changing. And then you've got the reality in practical effect. How does immigration work? Sure. Can you still, can people still immigrate to the United States? I mean, it sounds like they can't. We don't want any immigrants because <laughs> we're putting a wall around the whole country, sure, right? Sure. Or a fence. I'm not clear what we're doing. Yes, you can. Uh, you can immigrate to the United States. The important thing, one of the first things I tell every client, whether it's business, family, or whoever, one of the first things I tell them is that U.S. immigration law is designed to keep people out. Uh, the reason I, I say that the first line in the Immigration and Nationality Act is... Um, the U.S. assumes, the U.S. government assumes that you are trying to immigrate to the United States. The practical effect of that, that line is that we're going to do everything to try to keep you out. I say this, uh, in part though, to, to jolt, uh, clients to a sense of reality that you can immigrate to the United States, but it's not going to be easy. You okay. have to have your ducks in a row. You gotcha. have to have your paperwork in a row. You have to have um you have to uh, if you get an attorney you can trust you have to trust them and provide all the information that 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 you can possibly provide to allow them to strategize in the best possible way 
we talk about the rhetoric uh, versus the reality. The, the, the fact of the matter is, um, having practiced immigration law for over 30 years. Which is a long time. Which is a long time. You see a lot of the uh, ideas and suggestions that, you know, are written in the newspaper as sort of outrageous. You've seen them before. You've seen them several times. They come up almost every year. They're, Every year since 1952, there's been some sort of debate on immigration. So this isn't new. This is the none fact of that new. we're having a huge immigration debate in the United States, that's not a new thing. It's not a new thing. It, it's been around for, for, forever. So since the 50s at least. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. So therefore, you know, we... we we most attorneys don't get excited about it. Uh, we immigration attorneys, the immigration other attorneys, attorneys get all kinds problem. of excited. Absolutely, political absolutely. attorneys. Yeah. But immigration attorneys don't get excited because at the end of the day, you're dealt a hand a, a you know a set of cards and you got to play with the cards you dealt. And there are strategies you use; those strategies still remain effective. The the law, the policies and procedures are in front of right. you, and you have to follow them in order to uh, achieve the goals of the client. So, Gerald. Say that I'm corporate counsel for uh, Megatron Inc., which is a bad guy transformer. But I don't know why I came up with Megatron, but but that's our company name, right? Um, so Megatron Inc. is our, our company. And we want to bring over three people from India who are experts in full stack development. I don't even really know what that is. I just know that's a thing. But we want to bring over three full stack developers from India because they're experts. And it's a good deal for us. First, how much is it going to cost me to bring them over in terms of uh, money and effort? And how long is it going to take me to get them? And what, there's a quota. So how do I get into this quota? How does that quota system work? Can I just say, tell you today, hey, I need this. Get this for me next month. I want them here. <laughs> or is it more than that? No, it's, it's a bit more than that. I mean, first of all, it's interesting to say full stack engineers because we brought a number of full stack See? engineers. See, I knew it was yeah. a thing. Oh, absolutely. I, I don't know exactly what that means. Absolutely. I think it's a thing people BBL just say. specialty. Okay. <laughs> but apparently we do it. Yeah, so, no, absolutely. Uh, well, here, here's the deal. The first thing that, um, first thing you need uh, if you're going to bring somebody over is you, you have to guarantee that the individual that you want to bring has a bachelor's degree. That is a specific requirement okay. of the H-1B program have to have a bachelor's. I assume developers, though, generally will have that, right? Uh, no? Not always. I no. mean, you know, sometimes okay. people do, um, uh, it, it is possible to make up for the lack of a bachelor's in experience. If you have 10 years okay. experience, uh, came straight out of high school and went into the business and you've been working for a, a number of years, that, that could also make up for it. But uh, as far as the H-1B program is concerned, a bachelor's degree is required. Okay. So once you've established that the person does have a bachelor's degree from an accredited university, then the process begins. The, there are 65,000 uh, H-1B visas that are given out every year. Uh, including 20,000 masters, what they call master's caps. So those are uh, visas. 60, how many again? 65. 65? 65,000. Yeah. Thousand. Thousand. Okay. Yeah. So we have 65,000 approved people immigrating who have at least bachelor's degrees. Well, they're, they're like non-immigrants. Oh, these are non-immigrants. Those are non-immigrants. So they're immigrants who are non-immigrants. Yeah. The H-1B program is for non-immigrants. So H-1B is a corporate person coming to work at my company who will have to go back when they don't work for my company? 
Yes, yes. Well, what if well, they move well, to another company? What if I fire them? Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just uh, asking. No, no, so curious. no, no, no that's a beautiful question. Okay, so if the H-1B program, you bring individuals. It could be a college student. It could be somebody working for another company. Gotcha. But you're sure. bringing them to your company. You're hiring. You're sponsoring them. Okay, so you're, you're the sponsor. So you're sponsoring their H-1B. Um, if you fire them, then they're out of status. And they either have to get an, on another uh, contract or they have to return home. Uh, if, you know, once they finish, the H-1B program is for three years. So after three years, you're, you're able to extend for another three. You get a total of six, uh, or you have to, you have to return home. Can you convert an H-1B into a green card, Uh, uh, an immigrant? You can, but you have to have a sponsor. So in order to immigrate to the United States, you have to have a, either a family sponsor or a corporate sponsor. So you know when you come generally that the company knows, hey, I've got this person for three to six years at most. Then they're done. Is that generally the case? Yeah. Well, now what will what, happen is if somebody comes, they're here for six years. Mm-hmm. The company loves them. They think that, you know, they, they, they really made a solid contribution to the company. They're, they're, uh, excellent leadership, excellent skill set. Right. You know, they work, blend well and they want to keep them. Then they may go for an employment based, uh, immigrant. Uh, I got gotcha. you. Or the green card. So I think we have at, at our, our firm, Kayla, I think was Panamanian and immigrated to the United States and our firm sponsored her to become. Because I know she is a U.S. citizen. Yes, yes. She's yes. now also an English citizen yes. and a Panamanian citizen. <laughs> she has an interesting immigration history. Sure, but she works with she, you, I think. Yeah, yeah. No, she does. So she, does. she knows immigration backwards and forwards from a personal standpoint. Yeah, yeah. And now she knows uh, uh, British, British immigration. immigration. Yeah, yeah, I ask her questions about that now. So That's uh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, so, um, so tell me, so we understand H-1B visa, short summary. So with the H-1B, so unfortunately with the H-1B, there's only one day a year that you can submit a, a petition. What? One day for a year. 65,000? 65, they go on, on one, what day is that? That is April 1st. So if you, if you miss April 1st, you have to wait till next year. You have to wait for the following year. Now, if you are transferring mm-hmm. or you're extending an existing H-1B, then you don't have to wait. Okay. If you're working for a, a nonprofit organization. So that's like tax day for immigration attorneys. This, well, <laughs> April 1st is like April 15th for uh, accountants. I don't know if you've ever walked by our office uh, on in, in, in the month of March, but uh, it's it's like a pressure cooker. I think cooker I've seen that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Just the heat files. coming out of there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's crazy. It's a crazy time. So April 1st is key. Three to six years is key. And must have a bachelor's degree or some high level of technical skill. And that is a non-immigrant, basically a temporary, get a a skilled worker into your company program. That's the H-1B. And let's stop for a moment and hear from our supporters. Thank you to our sponsor today, Dunlap, Bennett & Ludwig. Dunlap, Bennett & Ludwig solves complex business problems with smart solutions, acting as advocates and advisors to their clients with diverse professional backgrounds from MBAs to PhDs to bankers, to military officers, real-world experience for real-world problems. Dunlap, Bennett, and Ludwig doing better law. To find out more, visit www.dblawyers.com. 
What is the one L or L one? Well, uh, I just want oh, yeah, the yeah, last thing on yeah. the H one B, and this is just for for clients. The most important document that you're going to give me is the job description. Okay, and this is something that that the Department of Labor with the H one B process. The first step is that you have to be certified by the, uh, it's called a labor condition application uh, that you submit to the um, Department of Labor. Does the company submit that? Yes, yes. Okay, the company yes, submits Absolutely. Sponsor. Well, we, we submit it for them. But, the attorney uh, submits uh, it for the, the company. Gotcha. Submit, absolutely. But it's very, it's very important that the job descriptions that you give, you are very thoughtful and in keeping with what, the Department of Labor and then ultimately USCIS will look at as a job description requiring a bachelor's degree. So is it more than full stack developer? It, it's well, now here's the deal. Full stack developer, DOL and USCIS really don't look at the title. Gotcha. They look at the job description because the titles can say anything. Right. And it could be full stack developer to sweep our floors. To sweep our floors. There you go. And <laughs> that exactly. guy doesn't get in. That guy does not get in. But exactly. if it's full stack developer to write programming code and, you know, assemble stuff, whatever they actually develop, sure. whatever they do, that's what you're looking for. Sure. Paragraph, detail. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And the other document, uh, almost as important, but uh, very important as well, is, the, is something called a client letter, which is where the company makes its case for bringing this person to the United States in lieu of hiring a U.S. citizen. Ah. extremely important. So how, so how does that work? Do they have to say there just aren't enough skilled people with this skill set here? Or is it there aren't enough skilled people at the price point? I mean, could it? No, no, no. You don't want to get don't into say price. That. Don't, don't get into price. Okay. Yeah, so I yeah. didn't say that. <laughs> no, no. no you want, yeah, you want to say that it, it's, you know, it's, it's not easy to find U.S. citizens right. uh, to, who will work in this area. Um. When you're talking about uh, non-immigrant visas, the H-1B, it's a little easier. Uh, DOL and, and USCIS are a little more lenient in, in understanding and letting you bring somebody in. If you're going for an employment-based green card, however, you have to prove uh, beyond a shadow of doubt that you, first of all, tried to hire U.S. citizens and couldn't find them. And then secondly, there are none, you know, the, the market for uh, em employees in that area. So this is, is different. This is permanent status. This that's is an immigrant permanent. visa. Yeah, no, this, is, it, it, this it, isn't an H-1B now. That's not an, that's not an H-1B. What, what, what's just, that one called? Just green card? Uh, it, it's an employment-based uh, employment employment immigrant, immigrant visa. Gotcha. But it's, uh, there are different levels. So there's a level one, which is extraordinary ability visas. Or extraordinary ability green card, which interestingly you don't have to go through the later certification process with. You you have to make the case that you have such extraordinary ability that the United States has should have an interest in having. So are you those here. people like ballerinas, the, artists, the, 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 yes, uh, PhDs. But, but but you can't make the case personally. You the case has to be made for you. So when I put together a petition for a uh, employment based extraordinary ability green card. I need as much documentation as I can get from around the world. I About need, how famous uh, they are. How famous they are. I need newspaper articles. I need references from top people in the field. I need associations talking about this person. The case has to be made externally, third party, wow. as opposed to, uh, to you, you saying, hey, yourself. 
Yeah. Wow. Now, interestingly, I had a uh, this wonderful organization, Sarah's Nanoscience. We had a um, scientist. We didn't have much internationally on, but we uh, we ha- we were able to make a very very strong case just based on his ability. I mean, it, it, what his his produce, what he's written, what he's developed, so scientific articles, absolutely, patents, absolutely, how, things and, like that. And uh, we we succeeded in That's getting great. him an extraordinary ability so, visa. So that company, so Series, now has a. I assume PhD of some kind. Yeah, well, uh, some highly skilled guy. Unfortunately, after we got the good news, he decided that uh, he was going to return to India. <laughs> so, it, I mean, it's extremely rare to get that kind of green card. We were successful, but wow. he uh, he he decided to go back to India. But still, it's it's a wonderful organization. They're going to go. They're going to keep. Keep marching on. So, what's the L uh, L something visa? You you mentioned that before the yes. show. That's a different kind of thing that's yes. pretty popular. And this is something that companies. we've been doing a lot of. Um, the L visa is actually one of the easiest work visas to get. Okay. And the reason why is because a, uh, a company overseas will have a, either a parent, subsidiary, uh, or branch office here in the United States. Right. And what that work visa is, is an intercompany transfer. So you're working for the same company. You were working for a company in Germany. Now you're working for the company here in the United States. So you're already in the company. You're already in the company. So it's like a pharmaceutical company in Germany, and they have an office in Delaware, and you just move them inside of the company. So it's like an H-1B, but an internal H-1B, and they're easier because they're already sponsored. They're already employed. They're already So let me ask you a question. Would it... This is just... You're going to be like, no, that's insane. Why are you saying this? Um, could I not, as a U.S. company, set up a foreign subsidiary, hire the person in the foreign subsidiary, and then do an L visa to move them to the United States? Wouldn't that be easier than an H-1B? Is that not allowed? Ooh, 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 I'm sorry. So, so, so say I'm a, I'm a U.S. company. I am Megatron LLC, sure. and I am sure. based in uh, Ashburn, Virginia. Sure. Uh, and I... I'm like, hey, I, I need a whole bunch of full stack developers because we sure. love those guys. So I open up a company in Calcutta and I call it Megatron India LLC and I hire five full stack developers and then I apply for an L1. <laughs> well, the, seems brilliant, right? It, 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 it brilliant in, in, con, in theory, yes. And then until I get arrested. Yeah, until <laughs> you get arrested. One of the things with the L1 is you have to work for the company for one in the last three years. Oh, one so consecutive I would have to employ and pay them for a year in India. In India. And, uh, yeah. That still and then seems second, like something you could do. Secondly, they would have to be executive or management level. Oh. Yeah. So they would oh, have okay. to be executives or managers there with supervisory so responsibility. that's a limitation on the L1. I see. Yeah. Because we do a lot of startup companies and we do a lot of, you know, growing aggressive uh, companies who are interested in the L1 program, a lot of them are starting branches. So they'll, they'll start a subsidiary, they'll start a company. And so one of the things you have to have, uh, the, one of the most important things you have to have is a situation where the parent company continues to exist. It's continued to stay strong. We need all the paperwork and documentations on the parent company. And we need documentation on the subsidiary. The, the, the subsidiary. And gotcha. Because they're typically new. 
I highly recommend that uh, to, to clients that we are we are farther along in the process than simply incorporating. They're n- you can't just incorporate a company here and then bring somebody on an LLC. Gotcha. It's not going to work. It has you to have exist to for have a while, operations. Well, it doesn't have to exist, but the most important document in in the L one and in 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 most uh, 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 you know investment visas or whatever have you is going to be your business plan. Okay. So the business plan and and, and parenthetically, we 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 can help with business plans that get approved right. by uh, by USCIS. So you as an attorney can write the business plan for the company for immigration purposes. Yes, if they if they want. I mean, right. they should be. You hope that they, they are to able to to right. do this themselves. Yeah. Uh, and and you know, there's lots of information they would have to give to us because you know we may or may not be experts in their field. However, we can. Do, uh, the business plan is extremely important. And business plan has to include things like leases, uh, subleases, uh, potential contracts. It, uh, it, you know, it has to it, financial projections. It has to show. I like five year plans. I like to see that you know, in five years we're going to be at this level. We're going to be growing every year, and in five years you don't have to make a profit the first year. You don't have to make a profit in the second year. But you have to show that in time. This your is goal going, is to make a profit. Your goal, your goal is, is it just to or, exist, or to be in a successful I business, and that uh, you're you have the potential to hire U.S. citizens, you know, and in 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 numbers and whatever have you. So last last big topic that I'm really curious about is you mentioned something called an investment visa. Yeah, that's different than an L1 or an sure. L visa. What is an investment visa? How does that work? Well, uh, there are two types of investment visas for uh, for that we've we've worked on. Okay. One is a uh, it's a treaty investor visa, which is, there are about sixty eight treaty countries. The U.S. has a treaty. Uh, trade treaty with uh, certain countries. We haven't canceled all those. <laughs> well, well, there. The Some number are being canceled. The numbers uh, dwindling. Okay, but, fair uh, point. Investors from those countries can invest in the United States. There's no dollar limit. However, same uh, same words that I used earlier apply. The business plan has to show that you're going to have a successful business. That you're going to be able to. But you can be a foreigner without a company here in the U.S. And by virtue of your business plan and investment, you can get investment visa based on. Is there a minimum dollar figure? Could I invest ten dollars? Uh, no, not really. Uh, here's the deal: there is no for the e visas called e visa. Okay, yeah. so e for the e visa, there is no dollar limit. However, if you're investing below two hundred thousand, it gets harder to to I justify. See. So two hundred thousand is really kind of the the rational threshold. Yes, you've but got to it, come in. I've actually successfully gotten a visa where the, the initial investment was thirty five thousand. Wow. Yeah, but because the business plan was solid, they were going to make a billion dollars in four years. <laughs> yeah, well, they, it was Bit, close to that. Bitcoin, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. But uh, the key is that plan. I mean, one of the things you don't want to do is um, give the impression that you're coming here uh, to to immigrate to the United States. That that's that that can't be the goal. The most important goal is that the business. You're making a business decision. We have a way of making money. We have a way of funneling money into the economy. We have a way of creating jobs. Uh, you know, this is there's an economic benefit to the United gotcha. States. This is what we're doing. If if the you know if you have a ten dollar company, if you have a you know you're open up a fruit stand 
And you, you know, yeah, and you say, well, you know, I'm coming to invest in the economy. They're going to yeah. say, no, 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 you're coming for a visa, you know, denied. So uh, three big takeaways then for, for if I'm a corporate counsel managing immigration for my company, or if I'm a foreign company looking to bring people in, what are the three simple major things about immigration? The first one I get, I think I have, is the U.S. is trying to keep you yeah, out. Yeah. Just start with that presumption Absolutely. and work from there. So that's the first big takeaway. What, what would be takeaway number two? Takeaway, the, uh, you know, business planning slash paperwork. Make sure that all your paperwork is in order. If you've had any communication, any communication whatsoever mm -hmm. with USCIS, please share it with your attorney because so, that's going to dictate the strategy. Gotcha. That could limit you in some ways. That could provide numerous opportunities for you in ways, but you've got to keep a hold. So second takeaway is strategic. Strategic. You have absolutely. to be strategic. So first, the U.S. is trying to keep you out. Second, you have to be extremely strategic with immigration. Yeah, so that means paperwork planning, talking to an immigration attorney before you launch yourself at USCIS, <laughs> yes. right? And then, yes. so what's our third big takeaway? Well, what's the, the best the, things the, you the, can just remember? The, the most important thing for me uh, it, when I, I get with a client, one of the things is my human rights background has allowed me to, to really enter client relationships as this, you know, as, on, a, on a more personal level. The, these aren't just clients and, you know, file numbers. These are real people. And that's what I grew up with. And what I say to them is, whether it's me or another attorney that you trust, please share everything. So it's with very them. personal. It's very personal. Immigration it, is not is only successful if you're personal and able to share with your attorney. Little things mean a lot in immigration. If you've had a, a an arrest record, if you have children, if you've been in the United States before, if you've been in the United States out of status before, if all these little things can mean a whole different But you can strategy. deal with it if you know about it. You know about it. Okay. You, you know what? Because today, uh, you know, it, it, two years ago, if you submitted a petition, any petition, you got a receipt in seven days. Last year, it was 14 days. This year, it's over 60. Wow. So... There so are, the process is slow. There are 8.9 million petitions sent in every year. There are 16,000 employees in USCIS, which means that that's about 450 uh, petitions for every employee. And not, not all, all of them are looking at it. Look at the petitions and, and, and not all of them, you know, that's, that's on a, on a 365 right. uh, day year. And this isn't the most favorable administration for immigration. No. Like, let's just put it out there. Absolutely. It's not the easiest place. It's the best time to have a lawyer who spent 30 years doing this. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. So if you, you know, if, if, if you find out something halfway through the process, it may mean starting over and giving the delays, uh, you could turn a two hour, a two year wait into a four year wait. Gotcha. Which hurts so everybody, the company, everybody, the person exactly, immigrating or non-immigrating. Exactly. So three big takeaways then. First, the U.S. is trying to keep you out. Be strategic. Make sure you communicate with your attorney. And third, disclose everything to your attorney and or it's going to get you. It's going to bite you in the end. There you so go. There I think that, go. Gerald, I appreciate your time. Thank you hey, for coming on. Appreciate uh, thank you, you for tuning into Black Letter Podcast with Gerald Lamel. Um, download us from your favorite uh, website, iTunes, uh, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts from. And we'll see you next time on the next episode of the Black Letter Podcast. Thanks, Gerald. Thank you, Tom. Yeah. Appreciate it. And now let's step aside and 
have a word from our sponsors. After four years of exciting growth, recently named Washington Business Journal's fastest growing real estate brokerage and fifth fastest growing company overall, Pearson Smith Realty continues to build upon their vision of building an agent-focused brokerage dedicated to providing the ultimate client experience. Servicing the DMV in West Virginia, if you're an agent looking to work in a collaborative atmosphere while taking advantage of the industry's best compensation packages with unlimited value propositions, or if you're a buyer or seller looking for an agent that will go above and beyond to find your dream home, visit www.pearsonsmithrealty.com today or call 571-386-1075. That's all for today's episode of Black Letter. Thanks again for listening. Join us next time when we talk about more Black Letter issues in creative ways. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Google Play so you never miss an episode. And to catch us on video, check out our website at blackletterstudios.com.